on our journey with Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Can you imagine the days that will be up in heaven? And we not only meet Shaul, Paul, but Silas and Timothy. And we're also introduced to these Thessalonian believers because they all have names just as you and I do. And they are our brothers and sisters in Messiah. Haven't you ever thought it, being a little bit grateful towards the Lord that you did not live in the times when the Bible was being written? But what a blessing it is to know that those who've gone and lived and served the Lord before us, the Ruach reveals them with all their faults, their shortcomings, their victories. And so we can identify with them. The same hopes, the same dreams that we face, a lot of them were similar to what they faced. They lived under a very, very oppressive government that was Rome. And those of you who are listening on the podcast, those that will be listening later from these other nations and also the United States, our government's changing. But know this, this is not your permanent home. We are simply sojourners on this sphere. And one day, our Mashiach, our Messiah Yeshua is coming back for us. His bride, both Jew and Gentile, without spot or wrinkle, he's going to come and take us and snatch us away into his arms to be forever with him. That's the hope that the Ruach spoke through Rav Shaul to them. And they lived out their lives in that hope. Think about all the believers, the saints in the Tanakh. Sometimes people don't think of these individuals as saints, but they are. They believed in God's promises, and with their last dying breath, they acknowledged him. Because he was the one that gave and breathed the breath of life in us through our parents, Adam and Eve. And think about when these Thessalonians closed their eyes and they were ushered in the presence of the Lord. Their bodies were planted in the soil and one day Messiah is going to come back and they will be raised up first from the dead. And those generations that are yet alive and serving the Lord will be gathered with him. Yeshua's promises are yes and amen. And he shall fulfill all these promises. We can trust it more than our government. And so knowing this, that as our government changes, who sits upon the throne of our hearts? But Abba, Father God. And who sits at his right hand? Yeshua, and Yeshua is now waiting for his father to say, now go and get your bride. That's our blessed hope. That's what sustains us. Praise be unto God. So, 
Let's just back up one verse here. In chapter 1, verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians. And to wait for his son Yeshua, whom he raised from the dead, to appear from heaven and to rescue us from the impending fury, the wrath of God's judgment. Now, as Alan shared earlier during our Torah reading portion, that there were types and shadows, things that were hidden, that would kind of prick the mind of the Jewish people because no one had a Torah scroll in their home. They were dependent on going before and going to the synagogues. Just think about sitting at Moshe, Moses' feet, and hearing the word of God being proclaimed to them. And through generations that after Moses was buried upon that mountain, it's interesting when you think about it, God was his pallbearer. To this day, we know of the mountain, but we don't know the exact place where Moses was buried. And so with that, God takes care of everything in our lives. And we know that his word is yes and amen, and it is true. And so as of what I was in that thought there, there were no chapters and there were no verse numbers. Have you ever taken out the Bible and taken your notebook and wrote out a book and did not add the chapters or the verses and then take that notebook and simply read it from one end to the other? See, there are times when we have to use these different types of tools for us to gain better understanding and appreciate God's word. And so they would come to the synagogue or they'd stand before the Levites and then there would, the word of God would be proclaimed to them. And their full focus because they believed that what came out of these individuals' mouths was literally the word of God. How much more are we enriched today in that we have God's word in various translations and various languages of whatever people group that we are from so that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt his word is yes and true and amen. And think about that when Rav Shaul, the apostle Paul, was sitting down and sometimes he would dictate to someone who was a scribe to write it out. When they were done, he would gather that and he'd read it. If there was any types of mistakes there, it would be thrown away and they would have to start over. The same with the Tanakh. When they were writing and making new scrolls, if, if, if the, the scribe sneezed and he moved, he made a mark on that. Think about writing all the, the section of Isaiah. Come to the end and all of a sudden there's a squiggly mark on there the older scribe would be leaning over his shoulder and he would, he would then look at that and he wouldn't say a word. He's been there. He's done that. He would take the, the scroll and then toss it into the fire. And now let us begin again.
that's how important God's word is to us today. And how many times we take time to reflect upon that great gift. It's his word of truth so that as our governments change and as deception as we see, I mean, you can be watching a news broadcast, you see what's going on, and the reporter will be saying something else of their perspective. But know this, when Rav Shaul was being endowed from the Ruach and being told exactly what to say, Rav Shaul was not going by his own intellect. Did he understand what the Spirit was doing? Absolutely. And so then when he wrote these letters to those whose government had changed, a very, very oppressive government, they hung on every word. And it's from that perspective I desire for every time I read God's word, is it fresh and new to my heart? There may be some familiar passages, and it's important to memorize scripture, but you need to place your mind and heart on those who are receiving this. Remember, Rav Shaul was kicked out of Thessalonica. And now here comes a letter. Those few weeks or months that he had spent with these new, brand new believers, these new babes in Messiah, was a nurturing, a loving time. And they longed to see him. Because they recognized that their new birth that they had received was real. And they could see daily the transformation in their lives. There was an ongoing work of the Spirit of the living God. And they were getting to know the Spirit of the living God intimately. So let us continue here. Next verse. You yourself know, brothers, that our visit to you was not fruitless. On the contrary, although we had already suffered and been outraged in Philippi, as you know, we had the courage, united with our God, to tell you the good news, even under great pressure. You know, I believe, honestly, that in America today and other nations, pro proclaiming the good news as it was written is going to be seen as a hate crime. There are laws that are being acted in certain countries that if you proclaim the word of God as it is written, you can be arrested. And some of us who live in the West, in America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, believe that that could never happen here. But as you see things being to change, through the judicial systems in our America. That's why the book of First and Second Thessalonians is going to become even more important. Because Rav Shul is dealing with these things. He lived in that society. He knew about the oppressive government. 
So continuing here. Instead, since God has... I have to back up here. For the appeal we make does not flow from error or impure motives. All these TV evangelists that we see now on television, on the internet, on the radio. If you don't know the word of God, they're also sharing error. And they're doing it out of impure motives. This is being revealed. Neither do we try to trick people. Have you ever sat and listened to someone on the radio or started to read a book and all of a sudden you, they quote part of a scripture but then all of a sudden it's a little off. You see, these things that Rav Shaul was being accused of and so now he's setting the record straight. He's asking them to think about this. Think about the time that I was with you. You know my heart on these issues. God has blessed you with discernment, and you need to discern for yourselves. Continuing. Instead, since God has tested us and found us fit to be entrusted with the good news, and this is how we speak, not to win favor with people, but with God, who tests our hearts. Can you not confess that as your journey as a believer, that the Lord has tested your heart? And when, when the Lord has revealed that my heart is not pure, my motives are not pure, do we not receive the conviction of the Ruach, the Spirit of the living God, so that he can change our hearts to reflect his word and the character of his Son? Continuing here. For as you know, neither did we employ flattery talk. In other words, he did not approach them as a used car salesman. Have you ever been on a used car lot and they promise you the world? And if you purchase that vehicle... You get a couple blocks away, and all of a sudden all these noise start happening. Or maybe it actually dies on you. And you barely get it started to bring it back there and say, you know what? I changed my mind. Then you have to go through that process. So continuing here. For as you know, see, he's, he's now asking them to think. For as you know, neither did we employ flattery talk, nor did we put false front to mask greed. God is our witness. Now, how many tele-evangelists could stand before people and say those words? Rabbi, you're really going after them today. Rav Shaul is asking them, Use discernment. 
Think about our relationship and what it's based on. Is this centered on Messiah and lifting up Messiah? And lifting him up so that all people can be drawn unto them? Or do we want you to follow my such and such ministry? Continuing. Nor did we seek human praise, either from you or from others. As emissaries, that simply sent ones, of the Messiah Yeshua, we could have made our weight felt. But instead, we were gentle with you, like a mother feeding and caring for her children. Yeah, but if you go ahead and you send me in your, your faith pledge today, I will send you this holy water that I, my trip from Israel. And if you want to get onto our gold giving plan here and send me $1,000, I'll send you a rock that when I was before the wailing wall, there was a little piece and I'll send it to you for your great offering. Was Rav Shaul do, doing any of this nonsense? But what have we been exposed to? Shenanigans. Men and women who use the proclaiming of good news to become filthy rich. Let's continue. We were so devoted to you that we were glad to share with you not only God's good news, but also our own lives. Because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, and that can be also said of sisters here, because that word is a generic. You remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. How we work both night and day, not to put a burden on any of you, while we were proclaiming the good news to you. You are witnesses. Remember? They were told that they were not truly born again, that there had not been a transformation in their lives. So Rav Shaul is asking him not only thank, but know this, that if you were called into a court, you would be able to bear witness in how we treated you. What were our motives? How was our conduct? And we did not put any financial burden on you whatsoever. Continuing here. You are witnesses, and so is whom? God. I'm sorry. You cannot get a better witness to come into the courtroom than God to testify upon you, your motives, your conduct. Of how holy and righteous and blameless our behavior was in the sight of you believers. Now he's not boasting on that. He's saying now that this is the work of the Ruach that has been manifested to us 
This is out of love and devotion. For we see you as being in a place of being lost and forsaken. And no longer you're lost, you're found. And you're part of God's family. You have been grafted into the commonwealth of Israel. And that's where you belong. And that's where you're going to grow. And that's where you're going to be fruitful. And that's where you're going to flourish. So continuing here. For you know that we treated each one of you the way that a father treats his children. We encouraged you and comforted you and appealed to you to lead lives worthy of God. So he's there addressing, you've come out of your old ways. And now you're honoring God with your very lives, your motives, your conduct, and how you approach and bear witness to the truth, the transformation power in your lives that God is making evidence as proof to all those who live around you. Continuing here. We encourage you and comfort you and appeal to you to lead lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. See this government that we're living under currently? One day it's going to come to an end. We're waiting for the King of kings and Lord of lords to set up his eternal kingdom literally on this earth. So those of us who are the bride of Messiah, when he comes and takes us, those who are asleep in the grave first, raising them up, they receive their transformed bodies, and then us who are alive at that moment will be transformed, and then we'll be all assembled before him in the clouds. Then he'll take us to the Father's house. And then he'll prepare us to the next phase in our glorified bodies. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, we will come back with him riding on those horses. He will then descend upon the Mount of Olives, which will be split in two. He will walk through that golden gate and he will set up his millennial kingdom. And as that process goes, just prior to that, the Jewish people, the one-third who survived the great tribulation, when the abomination that leads to desolation is revealed, the anti-Messiah is revealed, and he stands in that temple after entering into a treaty with Israel, supposedly for seven years, and he cuts it short in three and a half years. And he says now to both the Jewish people and the world, I am God and you must worship me. They will flee. Two-thirds will be eliminated of the Jewish people. One-third shall survive. The Lord has prepared a place for them. In Jordan, there are Jordanian Christians that say they're now preparing for this to come because they know what the scriptures say. And when those realize that the one that they believed, the third, one-third that survived, they see that this anti-Messiah is not their Messiah. 
Then they'll cry out those words, Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it says that he will give them a heart of suppl- supplication out of Zechariah 12. And remorse. And as we are coming down with him, him on his white horse leading the way, they will see his hands and feet that are pierced. And the scripture says that they will mourn as if their only son. And in that day, all Israel be saved. This is all what Rav Shaul is preparing these believers to receive and to know the Father's will. And we shall rule and reign with our glorified bodies, with Messiah on this earth for 1,000 years. Literal 1,000 years. This is all going to be accomplished. Praise be unto God. So now let's get a little bit deeper here. Let's now turn to Acts chapter 17, verse 1 through 9. Acts 17, verses 1 through 9. After passing through Philippus and Apollonia, Shaul and Sila came to where? Thessalonica. Where there was what? A synagogue. See, there were Jews in this city. According to his usual practice, Shaul went in and on three Sabbaths, he gave them drashes from the Tanakh, explaining and proving that Messiah had to suffer and raise again from the dead. And that this Yeshua, whom I'm proclaiming to you, is the Messiah. Some of the Jews were persuaded and threw their lot in with Shaul and Sila, as did a great many of Greek men who were God-fearers, and not a few of the leading women. But unbelieving Jews, and those are Jews that do not, had not received Yeshua as their Messiah at that moment, grew jealous so they got together some vicious men from the riffraff hanging around the marketplace and collected a crowd and started a riot in the city. They attacked Jason's house, hoping to bring Shaul and Silas out to the mob. But when they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city authorities and shouted, these men have turned the whole world up inside upside down, and have come here too. And Jason has let them stay in his home. All of them are defying the decrees of the emperor because they assert that there is another king, Yeshua. Their words threw the crowd and the authorities into a turmoil. And so that only Jason and the others had posted bond, did they let them go. So that's a little bit of the background that was going on. That these Thessalonian believers, both Jews and Gentiles, wanted Messiah. 
They bore witness and they experienced this. Continuing. Explaining and proving that Messiah Yeshua had to suffer and raise again from the dead. Shaul proves this from the Tanakh. And where do we find this? Now let us turn to the book of Isaiah. Chapter 52 and verse 12. Isaiah 52 and verse 12. See, because Rav Shaul was not quoting from Matthew through Revelation, because it not had been written yet. And so here we are in Isaiah. And we're at 52 and verse number 12. As Ellen shared earlier, types and shadows in the Tanakh all point towards Yeshua, who is the substance. You need not leave in haste. You do not have to flee, for Adonai will go ahead of you, and the God of Israel will also be behind you. See how my servant will succeed. Who is that servant? But Messiah. He will be raised up and exalted, highly honored. And now continuing in the book of Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Verse 8 through 11. I have set Adonai before me, with him at my right hand. I can never be moved. So my heart is glad and my glory rejoices and my body rests too in safety. For you will not abandon me to Sheol and you will not let your faithful one see the abyss. You make me known the path of life and in your presence is unbounded joy. In your right hand, eternal delight. And now let us turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. So we're leaving the Tanakh and we're going into the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament. For among the first things I passed on to you was that I also received, namely this, Messiah died for our sins in accordance with the Tanakh, says, he was bruised, he was buried, excuse me, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Tanakh says. And so with this we see that because the Jewish people expected that the first and most important act of Messiah would be political liberation. And so what do you think what was one of the last conversations that Yeshua had with his original 11 before he ascended to the Father? This is their, com their conversation in Acts chapter 1. And beginning at verse number 6. Acts 1 and verse number 6. When they were together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore self-rule to Israel? You mean Israel didn't have self-rule at that time? 
Absolutely not. There was an oppressive government roam over them. He answered, you don't need to know the dates or the times. The Father has kept those under his own authority. But you will receive power when the Ruach, HaKodesh, the Spirit of the living God, comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Yehuda and Sharon, and indeed to the ends of the earth. And after this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Just as the angels go on to say this, just as you saw him leave, one day you will see him come back. He left with the clouds. He's coming back with the clouds. And this angel said that you will see it. Has not Kepha, Yohanan, and the rest have not their bodies been buried in the ground? Absolutely. So this speaks to that when Yeshua comes back for them, who are part of the bride of Messiah, the Jews and the Gentiles, one of Messiah, and he comes to the clouds, that they will see him again, just as he left. This is God's word. It is promised to us. And just think as Kepha was being crucified upside down. He knew that his body was going to be planted in the earth. But one day, just as Job said, my eyes will see the Lord. My eyes. Praise be unto God. So let's go back to verse number 2-2. You yourselves know, brothers, that our visit with you was not fruitless. On the contrary, although we had already suffered and been outraged in Philippi, as you know, we had the courage united with our God to tell you the good news even under great pressure. So we had already suffered under Philippi. See, that was a prior area that they were going through that journey. Let's turn to Acts chapter 16 and begin here at verse number 16. Acts 16, 16. It took me a few years to teach through the, all 28 chapters of the book of Acts. So some of you who were listening on the podcast and some of you who were part of the congregation at that time, these verses are very, very familiar to you. So Acts 16, 16, it says this. Once again, we're going to the place where the minion gathered. And what is a minion? That's up to 10 men who are Jewish who are gathered together. If they did not have a synagogue to meet, they would usually meet by a body of water, a lake or a pond or river or a creek. So continuing here. And we were met by a slave girl who had in her a snake spirit, a kundalini spirit, that enabled her to predict the future. 
She earned a lot of money for her owners by telling fortunes. This girl followed Shaul and the rest of us and kept screaming. These men are servants of God Ha Elyon. They're telling you how to be saved. She kept this up day after day until Shaul, greatly disturbed, turned and said to the spirit. Notice that he's not addressing her. He knows what he's dealing with. He has discernment. And in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, I order you to come out of her. And the spirit did come out at that very moment. But when her owners saw that, that what had come out was any further prospect of profit for them, they seized Shaul and Silah and dragged them to the market square to face the authorities. And bringing them to the judges, they said, these men are causing a lot of trouble in our city since they are Jews. What they are doing is advocating customs that are against the law for us to accept or practice since we are Romans. The mob joined in the attack against them and the judge tore their clothes off of them and ordered that they be flogged. After giving them a severe beating, they threw them into prison and charging the jailer to guard them secretly. Upon receiving such an order, he threw them into the inner cell and clamped their feet securely behind heavy blocks of wood. Around midnight, Shaul and Silah were praying and singing hymns to God. First time I read that scripture, I thought, Lord, will I ever be counted worthy to suffer for your namesake in the future? I pray that you prepare my heart and mind so that I can do as you desire, no matter what I face in this life. You know, this has been recorded this past year. More Christian believers have been murdered than any other time in recorded history. And I do not say, share that with you to bring fear into your hearts but to know this, that the Lord will sustain us. And if his way of sustaining us is taking us home in his presence, blessed be the name of the Lord. I ask you this, are you willing to live for Yeshua? But also, are you willing to die for him? Continuing. Around midnight, Shaul and Silah were praying and singing hymns to God. And while other prisoners listened attentively, suddenly there was a violent earthquake which shook the prison to its foundation. All the doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer awoke, and when he saw the doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. For he assumed that the prisoners had escaped, but Shaul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we're all here. Calling for lights, the jailer ran in and began to tremble and fell down in front of Shaul and Silah. The leading, then leading them outside, he said, Men, what must we do to be saved? They were willing to suffer so that others could see the fruit and the presence of Messiah in their daily lives. Then leading them outside, he said, Men, what, 
must we do to be saved? They said, trust in the Lord Yeshua and you will be saved, you and your household. Whereupon they told him and everyone in this household the message about the Lord. Then even at the late hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed off their wounds without delay. He and all his people were immersed. They were baptized in water as a sign of both the death and resurrection of Messiah. After that, he brought them up into his house and set food in front of them. He and his entire household celebrated their having come to trust in God. The next morning, the judges sent police officers with the order, release those men. The jailer told Shaul, the judges have sent word to release both of you, so come out and go in peace. But Shaul said to the officers, after flogging us in public, when we hadn't been convicted of any crime, and our Roman citizens, they threw us in prison. Now you want to get rid of us secretly? Oh, no. Let them come and escort us out themselves. The officers reported the words to the judges who became frightened when they heard that Shaul and Silah were Roman citizens. They came and apologized to them. Then, after, after escorting them out, requested them to leave the city. From the prison, they went to Lydia's house. And after seeing and encouraging the brothers, they departed. Back to 1 Thessalonians 2.3. For the appeal that we make does not flow from error or from impure motives. Neither do we try to trick people. Instead, since God has tested us and found us to be fit, to be entrusted with the good news, this is how we speak, not to win favor with people, but with God who tests our hearts. For we know that neither did we employ flattery talk, nor did we put a false front to mask greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek human praise, either from you or from others. As emissaries of the Messiah Yeshua, we could have made our weight felt, but instead we were gentle when we were with you, like a mother feeding and caring for her children, so devoted to you that we were glad to share with you not only God's good news, but also our own lives, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship, how we had worked both day and night not to put a burden on any of you while we were proclaiming the good news to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless our behavior was in the sight of believers. For you know that we treated each one of you the way a father treats his children, so encouraged and comforted you and appealed to you to lead lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and to his glory. And so Shaul had boldly preached the good news to the Thessalonians. And he did not back off from his message, even that Shaul had suffered. This term implies mental anguish. And he was treated outrageously. The term implies insults or bodily hurt because of it. As we have already read in Acts, what he dealt with. 
So Shaul's message was unlike the Greek orators of his day and philosophers. It did not contain any flattery. Shaul did not resort to manipulation or to preach things that would please its hearers. Shaul also did not use his ministry to mask over or to cover up greed as underhanded means of financial gain. So the accusations against those who proclaim the good news have been around for such a long time. Shaul now catalogs 10 of them here in these verses. Number one, appealing from error. Or number two, appealing from impure motives. Three, trying to trick people. Four, speaking to win their favor. To employ flattery talk. That was five. Number six, putting on a false front to mask. What? Number eight, greed. And to seek human praise. Number nine, using one's authority as emissaries of the Messiah, Yeshua, to make one's weight felt. And lastly, ten, putting a burden on people by seeking material support from them. And so Rav Shaul has now answered all these charges. They're from verses 7 through 12. And so we also see a similar defense that he gave in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and we'll end on that today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. As you walk and on your journey with the Lord, you'll notice that the en enemy of your soul, your adversary, he has no new tricks. He tries to, to duplicate things from other people at other times and situations. <coughs> That's what the enemy does. And so we can understand and we can actually perceive and discern when the when. The enemy, Hasatan, is about to attack us. So here we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and beginning at verse number 1. Praise be unto God. God has shown us so much mercy that we do not lose courage as we do the work he has given us. Indeed, we refuse to make use of of shameful, underhanded methods, employing deception or distorting God's message. On the contrary, by making very clear what the truth is, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Praise be unto God. 